We've come to a pivotal point in the Gospel of Matthew. The Jewish religious leaders have just attributed the works of Jesus to Satan. And the die is cast that would lead them ultimately to rejecting Jesus. Jesus now turns symbolically from the house of Israel and begins to forecast God's work of reconciliation throughout the world. And I believe we see this in the first two verses of Matthew chapter 13. On that day, Jesus went out of the house. This would be a house in the Galilee. This gospel doesn't tell us which house. Uh, Perhaps one of the others does. Uh, But he's been preaching in the cities of the Galilee. That's the northern section of Israel. And on that day, he went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole multitude was standing on the beach. Now, besides describing Jesus's movement from a literal house to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, I believe we get a glimpse of his ultimate purpose which began with the house of Israel, but is destined to encompass the whole of the Gentile world. When we were in uh, Israel last spring, a group of us went there. um, We visited this church in Magdala. That's like the middle of the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, where Mary of Magdalene is from. And this church It was so beautiful. This is the pulpit. So the pastor stands behind here, and this is the lectern right there. And it reminds me so much of this portion of our scripture there. Um, If you were sitting in the congregation, it might look, you'd see him from his, you know, trunk up. It might look like he's sitting in the boat. And during the day, Sunday morning, this is in the evening, but in the morning, behind this glass is the Sea of Galilee. So beautiful. Being God's covenant people, the Jews, those in the lineage of the Messiah and custodians of his world, uh, word, um, Being his covenant people, the gospel must go to the Jews first, the house of Israel first. As Paul confirms in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of Christ to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's everybody else. But looking ahead to the Nation's ultimate rejection, by and large, Jesus now illustrates the result, namely, of their rejection, the spreading of the good news to all the world as he moves to the sea, which repeatedly in Scripture, the sea represents the Gentile nations. I believe that reflected here. And how will the nations of the world Come to know the Savior of the world by the basic principles of agriculture. 
Verse 3, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. And others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And others fell upon the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. See, most everyone here has ears. This morning you brought them with you. The word parable comes from two Greek words, para, meaning alongside, and balo, to throw. So a parable takes a known truth and compares it to or throws it alongside an unknown truth. Here Jesus takes what was known about agriculture and applies it to what they didn't know about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And according to Mark 4 verse 13, understanding this parable about the sower is the key to unlocking the meaning of all the parables. Have I got your attention now? This is the key. You understand this and you will understand all of Jesus's parables. Fortunately, this is one of only two parables that he actually explains in detail. So let's jump down to verse 18, Matthew chapter 13, for his inspired commentary. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil will come and snatches uh, away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom the seed was sown in rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Further down in verse 37, Jesus identifies the sower as the son of man. Who is the son of man? This is an Old Testament reference used in the book of Daniel quite a bit to speak of the coming Messiah. Jesus is speaking of himself. He's the son of man. And I love that that was one of his favorite monikers because it ties us to humanity. The Son of Man, he often referred to himself as that. 
So that's the sower. And in verse 38, the next verse, we're told that the field is the world. Everybody in the world is the field. So what is the seed? The seed is the incorruptible word of God. The unchanging truth that Jesus is the king of kings. And that through his atoning sacrifice for sin, when he bore in his body our sin upon the cross and paid the wages of sin, which is death. When he did that, God now is gathering all who entrust themselves to him, to himself, and ultimately to his eternal and benevolent kingdom. I mean, beginning now. Heaven is our destiny, but even now we enter into the kingdom of God where he is made to sit upon the throne of our hearts. That's the kingdom of God. Wherever God is king, wherever Christ is king, that's the kingdom of God. But as we know, seed can have no effect until it is deposited in soil. I mean, you can hold on to seed for millennia, and it will just remain a seed, right? Until it's deposited in the soil. There's four kinds of soil soil here that represent the hearts of people in the world. And the heart is that, that place of affection. A seed... Is wonderful to behold. I used to not think so. When I believed that, as my college professors taught me, that everything is just an accident of time and chance, how much value can I put on creation? And so the trees, the, the fruit bearing, the seed bearing, it, it meant nothing to me. It had very low value. But once I came to faith in Christ, There was an explosion, this paradigm shift in appreciating everything that God has made because I saw the wonder of it all. His divine power was clearly displayed through the things that he has made, Romans tells us, so that we're without excuse if we do not honor him as creator. So here, here's the seed. It has this outer membrane, a durable outer membrane that protects it. And inside there's this irreducibly complex genetic information. Information! It's right there. All the information needed to to, to make another one, another seed-bearing plant just like this one. A feat of supernatural engineering in its original design and creation. And and think of this. Nowhere do we find in the world information emerging from matter all by itself. That's science. That's what's observable. To think that it just came into being by itself, that's science fiction. No place you find 
information emerging by itself in matter. Wherever there's information, there's always an author, a computer programmer. Somebody's putting information in to get something beautiful and serviceable out. Whether that seed is successful, however, it's got all the information in it. It doesn't depend upon the seed. The critical factor, all else, watering, sunshine being equal, the critical factor for the success of the seed is the soil. In today's parable, Jesus breaks down the soils of the earth. That is, again, representing people's hearts, their disposition toward God, their affection toward God, into four categories. The first category, or type, he refers to that which is beside the road. In other words, it's hard pan been walked upon and eaten by birds. Birds often in Scripture representing the devil. Enemy of our souls. This represents the hearts of those that are so hard that God's word, the revelation of his unfailing love and his will for us, God's word doesn't have a chance to penetrate. It's readily and roundly rejected without serious consideration. Making it easy for the devil to sweep in and just snatch that away from that person. Makes it easy for the devil to justify their decision with the flimsiest of excuses. Excuses like, the Bible's out of date. Or it's not scientifically reliable. Or the church is full of hypocrites. Not you. I'm just saying other churches. <laughs> and on and on. And someone refusing to bow the knee to God will just lay a hold of these lies without examining Scripture. And run with it. And run away from God and live with God to their back. It's not surprising, therefore, that the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, remember, when shared with such hardened hearts, it remains unfruitful. Second type of soil is referred to as a rocky place where they did not have much soil. Um, and I'm told that there in the Holy Land, it's very common to find just an inch or two of soil on top of a limestone bedrock. I remember our um, tour guide this time around, this last spring, Mickey. Uh, we were there as I mentioned, right after Easter, it's, it's the end of the rainy season. That's why we pick that time of the year. It's the sweet spot. Everything in the Galilee was green. Every hill, every knoll, every valley, everything was green. And Mickey said, in one week, it'll all be brown. Why? Because it was the end of the rainy season. And it only had that much soil. Of 
Of course, any seed cast upon that rocky place would germinate quickly because of the warmth of the soil. But its shallow root system prevents it from drawing nourishment from deep down, causing it to wither quickly in the heat of the day. You see the comparison. Jesus, Jesus likens this shallow soil to those who are led by the warmth of emotion. They receive the news of forgiveness and a, and a home in heaven with joy, of course, who wouldn't? But they're only temporary, verse 21, because they have no firm root in themselves. In other words, they haven't actually carefully considered God's word so as to be able to put the full confidence of their trust and their faith in it. Or as Matthew Henry puts it, they have no settled, fixed principles in their judgments, no firm resolutions in their will. They have no settled fixed principles in their judgments. No firm resolutions in their wills. When, for instance, popular opinion on moral issues like sanctity of life, and human sexuality, when popular opinion on moral issues runs counter to the clear teachings of the Bible and common sense... Common sense. What are men being encouraged and allowed to use women's restrooms? What, what's, what is that about? I always think of the emperor's new clothes. and they, People, wake up. Why are we allowing men to compete against women in women's sports? When popular opinion on moral issues run counter to the clear teaching of the Bible and common sense, these people with the shallow root system cave in rather than endure the censure of others, the reproach of others. It's interesting to note, I was watching a documentary on Albert Einstein yesterday, and even Albert understood the importance of fixed principles when he said the fate of mankind hinges upon man's what? Moral development. You'd think a guy like that, he'd say the fate of mankind hinges upon man's intellectual development or upon man's economic development. But what does he say? The fate of mankind hinges entirely upon man's moral development. The guy that saw the rise of the Third Reich. The incorruptible seed of God's word planted in a th the third kind of soil is not so unstable, perhaps, but neither is it fruitful. So we need to pay very close attention here because we were created to bear fruit. You want to know why am I here? to glorify God in your body, to bear fruit for his good pleasure. 
By this is my Father glorified, John 15, 8, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The simple reason Jesus gives for fruitlessness in our text is thorns. Namely, the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. The worry of the world. It's so easy to become anxious in the world today. It's that anxiety which comes from depending upon ourselves. And because we're not God and all-powerful and all-wise, I mean, it can be a kind of a frantic Restless situation. If we do that, if, we can, if we're depending upon ourselves, then we are going to continually worry about our bodily needs, our emotional needs, our spiritual needs. Because we're finite. Of course we're going to worry about those things if we depend upon ourselves to make a way in this life. The other weed that stumps our growth Deceitfulness of riches. We think, and again, I, it's the enemy of our souls whispering in our ears, if we just had enough stuff, if I just had enough opportunity for frolic in this life, I'd be happy. I'd be fulfilled. I'd be satisfied. It is a hollow promise that no created thing can satisfy, can keep. It's a lie of the devil. Because we, why? we were created for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.16, we were created by him and for him. And we, when we try to find ultimate meaning and purpose in life without him, we've been bamboozled by the riches of the world. If we fixate on them, these deceitfulness of riches, they will only serve to fragment and diminish our lives, making us worried, lustful creatures, devoid of the fruit of the Spirit. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Now, I know in Galatians, they, they list nine things, but what do they begin with? The fruit of the Spirit is, is that plural or singular? Singular. I believe that everything that comes after that is just defining love. The fruit of the Spirit is love within the believer. And any significant godly, godly influence without. So inside, this is the fruit. Inside, the love of God has been shed abroad within our heart and Outside, that's the effect that we're having in the world. A godly influence. Fortunately, Jesus doesn't stop with three soils. He goes to a fourth type of soil that can become the attitude of our hearts. He describes it as good soil and likens it to the person who hears the word and understands it. It wasn't in one ear and out the other. He carefully considered it. In fact, 
In a parallel passage in, in Luke 8, 15, he gives us even greater detail about such a person. He says, and the seed in the good soil, right? Soil is our heart attitude toward God. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. It isn't like the fruit is just, you know, it's just going to all of a sudden manifest itself in your life while you're whistling Dixie or doing some, something other. It says there's, you're, you're persevering in the truth. What you know about God and his plan of the ages. That's what we find. Fruit. The person who carefully considers God's word with an open mind and a willing heart. Then God's spirit can easily convince them of the truth. And once convinced they hold fast to it. They will not let go. In time, with patience, perseverance, they bear fruit. It's not like, I mean, even the, the smallest number given, 30-fold, is a lot. And we might think, oh, if I could just maybe, you know, replicate my love for God and somebody else or, Manifest Christ in me, just, just to drop it. But he's saying, no, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This idea of bearing fruit and much fruit is what God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God are about. This is, this is God's ambition for us. Fruit-bearing, and not just a little, a lot. As I alluded to earlier, there are two kinds of fruit that God's looking for. The inward fruit of a transformed life, changed by the love of God, and the outward fruit of lives influenced for Christ because of our seed planting. Right? So there's two kinds of fruit that God is looking for. The inward, where we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the word of God from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. That glorifies God. But it's also the influence that we have on this planet. JC and I are really excited about this concert that, that's brewing here. Um, it's a youth concert. It's an outreach we're going to do, we've got three groups coming in uh, on a Saturday night in May, middle of May. Uh, we're inviting other churches here. And JC's going to give an altar call. Uh, we long to see a harvest. You know, but this is what we're about. We're, we're planting seeds. We're using music, which is a powerful medium today, to bring them in. And Christians invite their friends Young people are inviting their relatives and their neighbors and their classmates. And that's why we do what we do. Reach and have an influence for Christ. Just as the Son of Man, again, that's Christ, is the sower in his parable, in Jesus' parable, the body of Christ has been commissioned. We call it the Great Commission. 
to share his good news with the world. You'll notice that Jesus warns, he always gives this, you know, a full disclosure. He warns us ahead of time, not all of our sowing is going to yield fruit. Right? You were listening, I'm, I trust. There were several kinds of soil, not all produced fruit. He warns us ahead of time, but, but we, we leave the harvest to the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't hold us responsible to force Uncle Ned to be a believer, a Christian. But he does hold us responsible to fulfill the Great Commission. He's the Lord of the harvest. As we faithfully cast the seed that is the word of God into the field that is the world. A while back, I received an email that described the effect that the word was having in the children's ministry. I read, I've been, it's been about a year since we decided on CCE as our new church, and I'd like to give you an anniversary report. A year ago, my son wanted to leave church altogether and was a, quote, dirty, old, rotten evolutionist, end quote, according to one of his dear friends. <clears throat> he is a child who bounces around in life and he can use any agreeable, positive influence to the max. Just good. A few weeks ago, he all of a sudden told me that he's planning to read the whole Bible next year. Among the reasons to do so was the fact that he'd be better able to direct others if they had questions. Whether he'll do it or not, that this kind of thinking is an immense step forward from last year. He also resolved the evolution dilemma through something that they taught him over the summer. My son will be bouncing around for a while, but in the meantime, any verse he memorizes, any positive experience he has within a Christian framework will leave their mark on him. The other kids are thriving also in their groups and activities, while their choice to be baptized was a milestone in their spiritual development, which I think sets the stage for me to just remind you all that at Easter, we do a baptismal, uh, a baptism. Right here, we're going to have a little pool, 90 degrees, not like Tolt River or, you know, glacier, melted glacier water. Never gets easier than this, folks. But if you have children that have put their faith in Christ or you have put your faith in Christ and not been baptized, well, this is your opportunity to do it, to do it. And, and we are commanded to do it. We come out and witness before everyone that we are on the Lord's side. And he has come in to abide with us and in us. And the whole body is encouraged. But for these souls that are baptized, and I said children also, that have put their faith in Christ, it galvanizes their faith. So, be thinking about that. You know, do you know when Easter is? Next month. That's right. The end of March. Not April, March. Be praying about that if you've not been baptized or your children haven't been baptized. 
We cast the seed of God's life-giving word, not knowing who will honestly consider his ways, his will with an open heart, who will lay hold of it and persevere in it. We don't know. I don't know this morning. You know? Very, lots of reasons why people come or listen online. But when God's seed does find such good soil, we can rest assured fruits are coming. Fruits are going to show. It will manifest itself. God will be glorified. And we, the sower, will have a humble hand in it. I'll close with this true story by H.L. Gee that illustrates this point very well. In the church where he worshipped, there was a lonely old man, old Thomas. He had outlived all his friends and hardly anyone knew him. When Thomas died, Gee had the feeling that no one would turn up for the funeral, so he decided to go, so that there might be someone to follow the old man to his last resting place. There was no one else, and it was a wild, wet day. The funeral reached the cemetery, and at the gate there was a soldier waiting. He was an officer, but on his raincoat there were no rank badges. The soldier came to the graveside for the ceremony. When it was over, he stepped forward, and before the open grave, he swept his hand to a salute that might have been given to a king. H.L. Gee walked away with this soldier, and as they walked, the wind blew the soldier's raincoat open to reveal the soldier, the shoulder badges of a brigadier general. The brigadier said to Gee, you will perhaps be wondering what I'm doing here. Years ago, Thomas was my Sunday school teacher. I was a wild lad and a sore trial to him. He never knew what he did for me. But I owe everything I am. Or will be to old Thomas. And today I had come to salute him at the end. Thomas didn't know what he was doing. No preacher or teacher ever does. It is our task to sow the seed and to leave the rest to God. Maybe now would be a good time to let people know that there's some openings in Moana. <laughs> See, Mary. You want to make a difference? Teach a child. Love a child. Volunteer for our Sunday school program to rotate in on Sunday morning. You can make a huge difference. As Barclay Apley said, 
The fate of any spoken word depends upon the hearer. May the fate of God's word planted within our hearts be fruitful, a fruitful fate. And may we faithfully broadcast it. Right? First it changes us and then we broadcast it. We plant the seeds in the world that it might change others, that others might know there is a God in heaven that loves them with an unfailing love and has reserved for them a place through their faith with him in paradise. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, it's a wild, wild, wild world, world we live in. And in many respects, it's, it's a dark and scary place. But you have connected the dots for us. You've shown us where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going, what we're to be about, and where we're heading. Our destiny is with you. Where there is no need for the sun to shine because your presence lights the way. There's no more death or crying or sickness or pain. In the meantime, here we are. And in our hands, we have the word of your testimony. This is, this is your oracles. Inerrant and true at every point. And your Holy Spirit takes it and establishes it in our hearts and feeds us and nourishes us so the roots go down deep. So even when there is pushback, even when we are rebuffed, we can hold fast, we can hold strong to the hope of our testimony. If there's anyone hearing my voice right now, here in the room, online, on a recording, that uh, has not considered these things, these, this word, this life-giving scripture, the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. You've not seriously considered it until maybe now. And now, you feel that you want to hope in Christ. You want to trust in Christ. I want to pray with you and, and help you make that firm decision. And anyone here or hearing my voice that has found themselves in a rocky place or, you know, the other diversions have choked out your life in Christ, but you want to give God permission to cultivate, to break up the fallow ground, cultivate the soil of your heart. I want to pray with you as well. So pray with me. 
In the quiet of your heart, you can say, God, you are a creator. You spoke the worlds into existence. You designed the humble seed with all the written information protected inside by which when coming in contact with good soil produces fruit. A fruitful life, that's what I desire. So we commit our lives to you afresh today if we haven't before. Come and take your home, take your residence in us, sit upon the throne of our hearts, Lord. Shine through us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God as seen in the face of Jesus. Amen. So be it. And amen. If you prayed with me,